It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. You are Locked on Warriors, daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. And as I said I was going to do, the everyday today includes an unusual but warranted Friday night, Saturday morning edition of Locked on Warriors after not only the game and the loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, but the news surrounding the day and particularly Saturday's game against the San Antonio Spurs. And where I want to start, albeit briefly, instead of going into this game, I want to think talk a little bit about game theory. And game theory has been used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's been misused, but at its base... It's about explaining why people or companies or whatever make the decisions that they make. And something that Tim Kawakami mentioned on Twitter, and I agree with without having any inside sources or anything, is that the Warriors were going to have a mass sit day somewhere in these two games because they've played a lot of games recently. They've had a lot of travel because they they did have one home game, but it was a nominal home game against the Celtics where they had to fly out the next morning to get to Minnesota on time. And so you want to think about that circumstance through really two different lenses. One of them is the likelihood of winning with the full squad or what they have left of it and the skeleton crew against each opponent and then the relative importance of each game if there is a difference so there is a not much ambiguity in terms of the second part of that equation since the spurs are a direct competitor to the warriors wins against them are more valuable typically the trade-off there is that wins against the team are harder and that is certainly true here but it gets a little bit complicated when you really think about some of the other nuance to this, and it's why I'm a little bit more openly critical of what the coaching staff decided to do here. One, they sat Sean Livingston, though I actually would argue that worked out well because Ian Clark did a wonderful job in that spot, added shooting. They didn't really need Livingston's shot creation that much. His defense might have helped a little bit, but they didn't need his shot creation there. The problem lies in two things. One, the fact that we knew before the game but not that far before the game that Kawhi Leonard was going to be unavailable for the Spurs on Saturday due to being in the concussion protocol Tony Parker has a back issue he is questionable I sincerely doubt he's going to play so you have those things that are that are in place Kawhi is an MVP candidate he's a spectacular player one of the biggest challenges there but that's a part of it And you can certainly make an argument that the skeleton crew for the Warriors is not going to beat the Spurs because the Spurs are really good. They're a deep team. All that goes into it. That part actually doesn't necessarily help the argument about playing them against the Spurs because when you get into the relative natures, strengths, and weaknesses of it, it gets more complicated. So you have those pieces together. But another huge component of this ties back into this game, which is the benefit of having rested players for the second game as opposed to playing them in the first game on normal rest with travel and while 
inevitably many will focus on the end of Warriors Wolves and the refereeing and everything like that. And there certainly is validity that every point, every whistle matters. But to me, the biggest factor in this game did not come in the last two minutes, did not come on a a whistle late in the game or an out-of-bounds call that was egregious or a charge call or anything like that. It was the first quarter. In the first quarter, the Warriors came out flat and got outscored by 10. It was 34 to 24 after the first quarter, and that was despite the Warriors shooting 50% from the field. It's because they turned the ball over five times, including two of them being live ball turnovers. They allowed Minnesota to get to the free throw line. They were one of five from three, and teams can be flat for a lot of different reasons. It can be bad luck. It can be fatigue. It can be just low energy unrelated to fatigue. Just teams have off nights. It's certainly a part of it, and my feeling is that the first quarter tonight was all of those things. It was a little bit of low energy. It was the players being tired and just some bad luck. I mean, one of five from three, a lot of those were really good looks. Curry was zero for three during that stretch. So the question becomes, was the balancing right in terms of the way they were thinking about it? And what I'm arguing here is that not only do you have the clear-cut benefit of having full strength against the Spurs and having a very low chance of winning at less than full strength against them, but it would have been a more rested team. And there were moments in this game that the Warriors looked a little bit tired and those moments were enough. Minnesota has been playing very well, not only since the All-Star break, but broadly speaking, since mid-December. Jim Peterson, Zach Harper, numerous other intelligent people who know this team really well have brought this up, but Minnesota started out the year horribly and have played well since then. So the Warriors certainly kind of were going into it and maybe the their expectations of likelihood of winning this game with all their remaining starters was higher than it maybe should have been. I mean, I, I wrote about after the Celtics game about where is this team without Durant? And my logic was they're a good team, possibly a great team at times, and those kind of teams can lose to to Minnesota. San Antonio should have lost to Minnesota, ended up being that they pulled that game out late, and that that could end up making a difference in seeding. But I think the Warriors had that as a little bit of a problem, that they felt like, oh, if we're full strength, we're going to win this game. And they certainly had a good shot of it. I'm not saying, oh, you know, I mean, they didn't play that well for a decent stretch of this game and still almost won. So, and arguably should have won. So you have all that going together. So in my opinion... And it is just my opinion. If the Warriors' goal was maximizing their chances of getting the number one seed, having the best record, whatever, I I think the one seed is the easiest quantifiable goal in this specific context, they should have sat those guys tonight and played them tomorrow. And they had all of the same information and a lot more information than I did. And the other part of why I would have done it that way is because the Warriors' next game after this is against the 76ers. So you're not getting much of a spillover benefit there because you're getting rested and then they're going to be at home for a while. So the bigger benefit would have been getting that extra day. And theoretically, they could have, I mean, it makes more sense after the Kawhi news, but they could have done it beforehand. I think it was still, you know, the logic got stronger, but it was already on that side. So that's enough on that. I want to talk a little bit, I'm going to talk a fair amount about the game itself. And with kind of this the circumstances the way they were without Minnesota having that real dominant small forward scorer the Warriors made the decision to start Patrick McCaw instead of Matt Barnes or somebody else and 
that was the right decision on paper. You know, like that that was the the right call because he's better defensive defensively against that kind of a structure. Offensively, he's been better than Barnes overall so far. But there was another big coaching tactical mistake early that was small but made a little bit of a difference, and that was that they started the game with Patrick McCaw and Andrew Wiggins. And I think it was two possessions in a row early on in the game. Andrew Wiggins used his significant strength advantage on McCaw, because McCaw's rail thin, to basically put him into the basket and get easy buckets for himself. And shortly thereafter, basically the next possession, the staff made the decision to put Clay Thompson on Wiggins. Right call, easy thing to do. Minnesota's other two perimeter players are not exactly dangerous scorers, so they didn't have to worry about kind of spillover effects of doing that. And it worked out a lot better. But it kind of gets into the idea of, well, okay, why why didn't they start there? It's not like you need to put Clay Thompson on Brandon Rush, like former Warrior Brandon Rush, solid, you know, good at what he does, doesn't really do a whole lot else, ended up only taking three shots in 20 minutes, and a lot of that was with Patrick McCall on him. You could also theoretically put Steph on him as they did. I believe on the last possession that the Wolves had, they put Steph on him, which made sense. And so the Warriors had those kind of like little off-night things a lot early, and then those compounded with a couple of other big factors. So I thought they got a rough whistle in this game overall. Not horrendous, not anything massive, but in a one-point game, it can make a little bit of difference. That said, I will say that I personally didn't feel like some of the late calls that people were going ridiculous, were going egregiously on late were necessarily incorrect calls. So for example, the one that actually fouled Zaza Pachulia out of the game, my read, and I didn't get a great look at a replay, was not that... Uh, that Zaza fouled him, but that Draymond actually did. And that it basically he, he wasn't straight vertical and there was a ton of body contact that Zaza was actually clean. Cause he kind of missed the kind of missed what he was trying to do and Draymond committed the foul. And so you could argue what, what the effect of that would have been relative to the two Draymond did not end the game, you know, with five fouls. So it's not like he would have fouled out in that circumstance. So that's a part of it. I, I think there were a few plays during the course of the game where Stephen Curry could have absolutely drawn a foul and didn't. And there, you know, it's just, it was just a, a, a little bit of an uneven whistle. I don't think it was massive, but it was there. So that's one factor. Second factor is that first quarter. That first quarter, I think, was the biggest single determining thing in this game. But also, like in a few other games, the Warriors' shots didn't fall in the way that they usually do. Stephen Curry was one for eight from three. Draymond Green was zero for three from three. I mean, that happens a fair amount. Clay was three of six, but he was he struggled a little bit early. And then the bench was, other than Ian Clark, they were a little bit shaky. So they were overall 29% from, from three, seven of 24, which is below what, far below what they usually do. And if you change any one of those factors, the Warriors probably win this game and probably win it comfortably, despite the Wolves playing a fantastic first quarter. And Minnesota deserves credit because for the most part, after the first quarter, they didn't do much to lose the game. The Warriors just played better and were almost able to take it from them. And that's, as a, as a Warriors fan, that's probably what you want to hear because you don't want to win a game in terms of predictive value. You don't want to win a game because the other team gave it up. You want to win a game because you took it. And I would say that the Warriors overall did that moving forward. Carl Anthony Towns had a spectacular first quarter and played pretty well overall. I thought they actually underutilized him a little bit later. Wiggins had his moments. He also got to the line a couple of times that were important late. And Rubio, again, had a great game and many will make the argument that part of why Rubio had a great game defensively was because he was fouling and grabbing Curry and I would agree with that but 
at a certain point, especially with somebody as savvy as Rubio, you know what you can get away with and you just keep doing it. So if they would have officiated the game differently, he would have defended differently. And all of those things run together. All of those things are part of it. And it ties in with, I feel like a little bit of a broken record here, but the idea of Marjorie Ferrer. So when Kevin Durant was on the team, the Warriors could have basically all of those factors run against them and they could use either a hot third quarter or just another stretch during the game and they could cleanse those problems. They, would, they, they wouldn't they would fix them. They would basically just clean them up and they would act like they didn't exist. It'd be like using a disinfectant or something like that. You're not, you know, you're. it doesn't do everything. It doesn't prevent the wound from occurring in the first place, but it means that it's not doing as much damage. And without Durant, just as any other great team or good team or bad team would be without one of their key players, it gets harder to clean those sorts of things up. And I don't know, as I said at the beginning, whether that first quarter was energy, fatigue, just bad luck, or all of those things together, but it certainly, none of, having all of those together didn't help. And so I'm interested to see where this team goes from here because now it's not definite in any way shape or form but it's looking substantially less likely that the Warriors will get the number one seed it's, you know it's they're still technically ahead in it right now they're still ahead by I believe one game in the in the loss column and they're still a great team and they're still miles and miles ahead of the Rockets and basically everybody else so even if worse comes to worse the, the Spurs end up passing the Warriors it's not that big a deal but that is a small part of the story relative at this point. It's important for the playoffs, but to the idea of how they respond to this, because there's still a month in the season, and as much as fans and to a lesser extent media members, including myself, would love to skip forward to when Durant recovers from injury, when all the the, the actual like fun stuff of the Warriors season goes on, what happens between now and then actually matters. I have long since given up on trying to interpret what Andre Iguodala says. He had some interesting quotes after the game. Uh, Anthony Slater got some of it on video. I, again, do not know and do not want to interpret that. I'm not trying to read too much into it, but that's it's the sort of thing that you just kind of want to just file away just to see if it's, you know, it's probably just frustration from a loss and everything like that. So, you know, you just kind of sit there. I'm not going to make any statements with it because I don't know enough to make a statement with it, but you just kind of think of a way. And, and losing is frustrating, and losing is frustrating when you are a good team, when you are a prideful team, and you feel that you should not be doing as much of it as you are. So I want to see how this team responds to this form of adversity. They already faced injury-related adversity, not only this year, but last year with Curry being out, and they responded fabulously to that, playing Clay Thompson had the best series of his life to against the, the first part of that against the Blazers. He was arguably the MVP of the first two rounds of the playoffs, and now they're dealing with that with Durant. But even through the Curry stuff last year, they kept on winning. This team hasn't really had a, a rough patch in terms of wins and losses other than, you know, what happened at the end of the finals. And we didn't get to see their reaction to that because the games were over. So we get a new piece of data. We get a new piece of information to see how it works. And tomorrow against the Spurs, Saturday, most of you listen to this on Saturday, will not be a great reflection of that because the best players aren't playing. 
they're not going to be on the floor. So I don't want to read that. But and and you don't really want to think too much about it with the Sixers or the Magic because both those teams are not really at that level right now. However, those would be big warning signs if the Warriors lost those games. Not if it's close, but if they lose either of those games. Maybe maybe we're starting to look more Milwaukee a week from when most of you listen to this on Saturday as a, a barometer, as a, as a tipping point to see where, where these things are. But as has been discussed on this podcast and many others recently, the Warriors became very interesting with the Duran injury. And that intrigue has not stopped. It will not stop. And... I'm fascinated to see where this goes. And just to do a little bit more on the game, I was surprised that Zaza Pachulia was on the floor for some of the big defensive possessions late. A switch happier system would have made sense, especially because Zaza is not a great rim protector. I could totally understand if you had like a defense only five and wanted him on the floor for those stretches. He is a very good defensive rebounder. He's the Warriors, at least the last time I checked, he's their best defensive rebounder. But that wasn't as important as getting somebody who's kind of can be involved in the play and who can go with everything else. And they don't have all their best options around, especially with Durant. But I'm openly skeptical that he would have even been better than somebody like Matt Barnes, who can at least play with, you know, play with some speed, play with some agility and go in that direction, especially considering it wasn't like they really wanted to use Zaza that much on Towns. He had a little bit of a stretch. And also it was surprising to see the Warriors not really mitigate Andrew Wiggins that much. Wiggins was very comfortable driving to his right throughout this game, and they never really stopped him from doing that. He from the jump was was going in that direction and the Warriors just kind of let him do it they weren't really game planning for it and a lot of times you want to take a guy out of his comfort zone you want to take a specific direction and say okay you're gonna have to beat us in a way that you're not comfortable with like Julius Randle is probably the best example of this in the league like Julius Randle has very little right hand so you want to make sure that he's finishing with his right hand you want to make sure that he's taking his dribble you know usually that would actually mean driving left because you're you know you're, you're going that direction so I don't think that the Warriors really did too much of that. Maybe it was they thought he was better going to his left and they were just executing the game plan they already had or they couldn't adjust on the fly, but those sorts of things. Also, not a surprise that one of the big plays at one point in the game, I think it was in the third quarter, oh, it might have been the fourth, was JaVale McGee kind of, I know that was late, set Steph Curry out to dry because he over-contested on a Gorgie Jang corner three, and then that led to Steph getting called for a block when he was trying to draw a charge, and that was the correct call. Again, that's another one of those where some fans were mad, but it was the correct call. Curry wasn't set. He wasn't really in a defending position. It was the right call. Also, I want to mention that I don't... I've heard some people, and I legitimately don't know for sure, on the play where Ricky Rubio dove into Steph's legs, I've heard some people say that it's it was ruled correctly, but it's a messed up rule. I've seen it called both ways at various moments past. There was one where Damian Lillard got called for it. I think it was against Houston, jumping into a guy who was kind of basically set. To me, that's a foul. It's an unsafe play. And even if it, you know, it's it's one of those kind of gray area spots, you you rule in favor of what could cause you know, what could potentially cause injury and mitigation of injury. And so that would have been a big shift as well because Rubio dove for that ball and ended up being Minnesota's. And so that that was a significant swing as well. And there were a few others of those. Whereas also missed a few free throws late. Many would argue they should have gotten to the free throw line a little bit more. All of those things can certainly be possible. And also, other than Ian Clark, who I thought played really well 
I don't think any of the Warriors bench guys had a particularly strong game. Iguodala had some nice moments. He had a couple dunks, had a couple steals. Actually, he only was credited with one, but I think he had another deflection that I kind of treated in my mind as a steal. But other than that, McGee was shaky. Kevon Looney was actually an issue where Steve Kerr got outmaneuvered by Tom Thibodeau. He brought in Looney, I guess, to get a little bit more rest, especially when Draymond got his got his second foul. And unsurprisingly, that was the time when Thibodeau went to Nemanja Bielitsa and Kevon Looney has struggled with pick and pop fours all year. He's actually struggled with pick and pop fives too. And so Bielitsa ate him up for a couple minutes and then the Warriors went back to more normal lineups. I complained about this on Twitter during the game, but that would have been a time to put David West in the game. The Kerr has steadfastly refused to really play West at power forward. I think that it would be good to get a little bit of a sample because that might be a role that that he's best at in the postseason because if they're going to play Draymond at center more, you want to play Zaza Pachulia. If you don't want to really reduce his minutes, then you're going to play Zaza Pachulia with some benchier units. And if you're going to do that, then it might be with David West. So I want to see that together. It would be a strategic failing of the coaching staff if we don't get information on that over the next four weeks. But it doesn't have to be this game. I'm not saying, oh my God, they didn't do it in this game, so it was a failure. But it's something that they could have done. Also, James Michael McAdoo got a DNP CD, meaning he was coach's decision. He was reportedly healthy enough to play. So you have all that going together. So great game for me and Clark, though. Thought he played with confidence. Thought he played with aggressiveness. Exactly what you want from him. And I thought it was very interesting that the offense looked better with him on the floor with the second unit than it has at moments with Livingston because Clark is a very different offensive player and Livingston is still a very good talent. He still has a place on this team. But when the decision was made to bring Draymond with the second unit with Iguodala, his ball handling, Livingston's ball handling, became less of a premium. It was less of an important thing for that unit, and his defense is still a massive help. But Ian Clark has a part to play in that, and I, I think that I've talked about the idea of using Clark and McCaw as the guards in that lineup and then playing Iguodala, Draymond, and then probably David West at center. I still think that lineup would work. I think it would be very interesting, and that lineup has not played at all together this year. They have actually done the four smaller guys with different centers, but I think West probably makes the most sense there. So that's another possible combination to watch. And the Warriors did have a couple of moments. They played where the bench was great in the fourth quarter as they basically had to be because they were down going into that fourth quarter. And I thought that was really impressive. You know, it was the second time in a row that in Minnesota came out a little bit flatter. The Wolves played with great energy, had to get a big boost from the second unit, got that big boost from the second unit. But the difference was that they weren't able to carry that into a win today, which they were able to do in that game, I believe it was in January. And that was, uh, uh, you know, it took a different takeaway. Obviously, they also were healthier than they are right now. So the other part of this, I think that's enough on today's game. But the other part of the story is that after the game, Warriors PR announced that Curry, Thompson, Green, and Iguodala will all sit for Saturday's game against the San Antonio Spurs. Obviously takes that game out of being really interesting, not saying the Warriors are incapable of winning, but it's pretty unlikely considering San Antonio is the deeper team generally, but is even more advantageous, I guess, in that way without Kevin Durant on the floor, because then basically the Warriors are playing without their five best players and the Spurs are playing without their best guy. But it sounds, at least as of right now, that most of their other best guys will be in. Those guys will probably do very well, especially because the Warriors now are very, very shallow on the wing. 
So lots of time for McCaw, lots of time for Ian Clark, probably actually lots of time for Sean Livingston too. And incidentally, this is one of those games where not having a another point guard is probably going to hurt them, but Ian Clark will probably get those minutes and hopefully he plays well. Be good to see. So that game definitely got less interesting. I had been previously hyping the Twitter NBA show second screen that Nate Duncan and I were going to do. We are now not doing that for that game because when it loses that much intrigue, it's it's really not worth it for us to do it. Right now, we're tentatively planning on doing Cavs Rockets on Sunday, but if LeBron sits in that game, maybe we won't do that one either. It's just, you have to play it as it lies. We'll have to see where that goes. And yeah, that's, that's really where the Warriors are right now. I already have, I, I think, two topics in mind that I want to do on off days next week. Have a couple of, of pieces that'll come out for The Athletic. Also, of course, we'll have my game analysis and every player for this game will be on The Athletic as well. And it's nice to have the game a little earlier, so I'm not doing this at one in the morning like is often the case. So if you want to support the show, this is today is a great example of why it's awesome to subscribe because you never know when an episode's going to come out, when I get the urge to drop something. And if you download every episode, it's a big help for us for advertisers. And if you like the show, hopefully you do, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends, check out SeatGeek, use the LO Warriors code. All of those things really do help us out. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. I, If you take the time to read it, I will take the time to... If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. And I don't necessarily promise to respond, never go into it without expectation, but I try. So, you know, something something I like to do, but I, I don't make that promise because I like to be honest about what I say I'm going to do. So that is enough for right now. And in all likelihood, I will, I will have a podcast on tomorrow's game. It'll probably be shorter than I originally anticipated. It was going to be a big one and, you know, was a game that I was really looking forward to. But that's the way it goes in the last month or so of the NBA season. Rest is an important part of this process and we will see how they do it thanks so much for listening take care and make it a great day san jose sharks hockey is back and we've got you covered five days a week at locked on sharks i'm kyle demetrius i'm jd young eric Fowl. together we make sure you're never without your sharks programming will the sharks make a trade for a right winger we got you covered will eric carlson's groin hold up for the entire season we've got you covered Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.